What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 49. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up? Look, man, I can't hold it any longer. We've got to tell the people. We have an exclusive preview for Modern Horizons 2. No, we don't. Can you believe it? Stop. Yeah, yeah maybe you don't. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Dude, I, actually, <laughs> though, if you got one and I didn't, I would be, like, livid. I'd be furious. That'd be pretty good. But it's true because we do. I am here to officially announce that Modern Horizons 2 contains creatures. Wow. That's... <laughs> Man, I didn't think they could do it, but those those nuts over at Wizards, they, they pulled it off again. What a set. Yeah, well, they, they seem to just really uh, bring it to us time after time. <laughs> Ugh, what an idiot. <laughs> In any case... <laughs> this is episode number 49. We're happy to have you. We're talking about Strixhaven in a different light this week. Of course, we've been in Strixhaven for quite a few weeks now, but this time we're back to Flavortown. That's right, baby. We are back and excited to talk about all of the flavor involved with Strixhaven. If you haven't checked out a Flavortown episode before, we've got a few of those in the backlog already, so definitely go check those out. We do one on every set. And kind of the idea here for Flavortown is to highlight the flavor aspects of the of the set and the different things that we found interesting, how the flavor story-wise comes through the cards, what the actual story as far as the written story is. So if you haven't read the story of Strixhaven as far as the, the written content that Wizards puts out and you don't want spoilers, go check that out, then come back and listen to this. If you don't want to read it and you want a TLDR on the story... Well, you're in the right place, so uh, we'll we'll cover all of that. But before we do, of course, we've got two housekeeping items. First up, the Discord. Definitely check out the Discord if you haven't already. It's the best place to go to be in contact with us on a regular basis, as well as the rest of the community. We've got a number of channels open for different spoilers. We've got the Modern Horizons 2 spoilers are popping off right now, so that's been a pretty... Uh, open channel and lots of discussion going on there. Uh, we also have some different channels on the current limited formats that you can find in, in Arena and as different constructed formats as well. So really, we've got something for everybody there. Check that out. If you're interested, the link to the Discord is in the episode description. And again, that's completely free for anybody. So definitely check that out. The other piece of housekeeping is our sponsor, and that is Patreon. That's right. You, via the Patreon, can support the show directly at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. If you haven't checked that out, go ahead and do that. If you're interested, we have five tiers over there starting at $2 a month up to $10 a month. Every little bit helps keep us doing, help us keep doing this. And uh, we're, we're definitely extremely grateful for all of our patrons. You get access to things like stickers, the show notes, custom deck building opportunities with us, access to uncut and unedited versions of the show. And uh, we've got a couple of different stretch goals coming, and we've been talking with some of our patrons recently, and there are new things coming in this, this upcoming year as we're nearing our first anniversary uh, to the patrons, so keep your eye out on that. If, if it's not quite what you're looking for yet, maybe keep checking back because we're going to be adding a handful of different things there over the course of the next few weeks and months. All right, that's it, Ben. On to our crack and draft type thing. We've got uh, an interesting pack on pick one here. Walk through the cards real quick, and uh, I think this is not super obvious, so so this should be good discussion. First up, we've got our Defiant Strike. That's our Mystical Archive card for this pack. It's a fine combat trick, but you know not a whole lot to say here. Uh, our lesson is Basic Conjuration. We've got a Biblioplex Assistant, 
Campus Guide, Mage Hunter's Onslaught, Needlethorn Drake, Twin Scroll Shaman, Blood Researcher, Quandrix Pledge Mage, Sudden Breakthrough, and Ageless Guardian as our commons. Of these commons, what are you thinking? Hmm. Well, I do like Snapcaster Mage. Uh, I'm sorry, Biblioplex Assistant. But a lot of these other ones, the, the, the power level across the board here feels pretty flat. Mage Hunter's Onslaught, I think, is the best of these. Quandrix Pledge Mage being solid as well. I like Needlethorn Drake. I like Blood Researcher. I don't know. I've been a little bit lower on Witherbloom as of recently. I think it's it's one of the ones that sadly doesn't get there quite as often. The busted Witherbloom decks just feel like they come a little more rarely. So I've been a little lower on black. That being said, I think Mage Hunter's Onslaught is probably the pick out of these. I don't hate Basic Conjuration if we're going to consider the, the lesson too. Yeah, I think for me, it's between the Mage Hunter's Onslaught and Quandrix Pledge Mage. Blood Research is a fantastic card, but I really don't care to take it until I know I'm playing Witherbloom and have like a ton of life gain uh, synergies so definitely prefer to have the pledge mage over the researcher but mage hunter's onslaught is is a fantastic card it's great removal especially in this format it's kind of the premium removal spell in common so you know that's that's where I'm looking at the moment but we do have a few uncommons and a rare to look at so let's get onto those first up is eye twitch we also have a stone binders familiar and a silver quill apprentice for uncommons and I think eye twitch jumps the jumps everything there for me that's that's what I'm looking at uh, first pick out of these so far Mm-hmm. And our rare here is Exponential Growth, which is a card I have yet to draft. So I, I would still be on iTwitch. Exponential Growth just isn't a card that I'm very excited to pick up. If it wheels and I'm in green, maybe I'll take it and try to run with it, especially this late in the format. You know, it's something it's like uh, on the achievement list to check off, like win something with uh, with Exponential Growth. But I think iTwitch is the, the best pick here. Yeah, Exponential Growth is a card that I've passed several times and never actually taken and put in a deck before. I have seen it win plenty of games. But I have often seen it win games in specific scenarios. It sometimes looks like it's just always good because your opponent always has it. But a lot of the times you got to put it on something with flying or menace or trample or otherwise evasion. It is very strong. Obviously, it can do some pretty nuts things. But I don't know if I'm going to first pick it and then try to pick up a bunch of like, I don't know. Like the three three trample lifelinkers. Like I don't I don't really want to pick up those cards at like second and third pick just because I took an exponential growth. I don't know. I think the three standout cards this pack are the onslaught, the pledge mage, and the eye twitch as far as my, my pack one pick ones go. Hear me out here. You take the exponential growth and then you force Selesnia. <laughs> oh, then hear hear me out. <laughs> pack one pick one pledge mage, wheel the exponential growth. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Now that I think of it, uh, Pledge Mage does kind of fit in more decks than any of these other ones. That's it true. fits in any green or any blue deck, and I think it's good enough to be worth playing even in Prismari or Witherbloom. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Pledge Mage is just a perfect card in any any deck that's running green or blue. Uh, even the Celestia decks, in fact, it's probably the best card in those decks. So, uh, you know, it, it is very flexible. I think the same could be said for Mage Hunter's Onslaught, though. Like, any black deck's going to want that, pretty much, like, except for the most aggressive of the Silver Quill decks. But premium removal is premium removal. Yeah, I do... Even that'll be a top-end card for them, right? Right, right. So I, I still think, I think they're both pretty flexible, but there are fewer black-based decks that you're excited to play, I think. So, you know, that's that's something Green. else to consider. Green goes a lot farther in this format than, and even blue goes a lot farther in this format than black does. Yeah, if I were going to try to win the draft, I'd probably take the Pledge Mage here. If I, uh, maybe the Eye Twitch, it's honestly pretty close. Uh, if I were trying to have the most fun, I would probably take Exponential Growth and uh, see what nonsense I could get up to. Yep. 
Well, that brings us to our Teferi Tibble. If you haven't heard, this is our section of the show where Ben and I cover something good that happened this week, something bad that happened this week. So, Ben, why don't you kick us off with the Teferi Tibble? Sure. So I want to shout out a quick Teferi for the show. Uh, this is technically our 50th episode, right? That's true. Technically. It is episode 49, but we did have that cheeky little bonus episode for April Fool's Day, so... Yeah, this is the 50th recorded episode of the podcast. I think that's that's still pretty cool. But our actual 50th episode is is next week. That's a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We've been at this and I feel like we haven't really repeated ourselves too much. Uh, you know, so so good on us, I guess, for coming up with somewhat original content every week. Yeah, we'll save all the, the sappy waterworks for the, the year-long anniversary special. But uh, The year-long still, anniversary special? It's just going to be a one week. <laughs> just just one week there. I mean, are you kidding? We, we got a coast on this thing. <laughs> we made right. it to a year. We're going to be talking about it for the entire following year. Yeah, we'll ride it out till year two. Yep. <laughs> so uh, my actual Teferi is that there's only two full weeks of my school left. There's really a month left. But we've got a four-day weekend coming up here in, in the United States. We've got our you know, M- Memorial Day weekend, uh, and that's going to give me a nice three-day week next week. And then I have two more weeks, and then it's the last week of school. And then I have only like two months off, I think, uh, and then I'm, I'm back into it for another year. So I'm very close to having survived my first year of school. That, that'll be an accomplishment if it works out. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, let me let me ask you this, because I know you've had, obviously, like other jobs in the past before starting to work at a school. How do you feel? And I, maybe you can't answer this accurately. I'll ask you this again at the end of the summer. But how do you feel about the two month like span break? I guess it's very similar to actually being in school. But how do you feel about the two month break versus like getting, you know, a handful of weeks to take off at different times? It's tough. I mean, it's also weird because it's my first year, so I'm doing a lot more work than most teachers. I'm creating new lesson plans, whereas they're using theirs from last year. Uh, even having to adapt in the COVID, they're taking ones and adapting them, but I am coming up with new lesson plans and also adapting them for, for virtual teaching. So I think I like the two summer months because it's kind of like a, like a, a massive goal to work towards. Uh, I can tell myself that I'll be able to relax. I'll have nothing on my mind at all. Whereas if I just took a week off in the middle of the school year, I'd be thinking about the lessons that I'd be teaching the week that I get back. You know, like I'd be thinking, oh, did I remember to screw in that that uh, one spring component so that the whole thing isn't going to get stretched out? And like, or did I did I do this or that? Uh, but over the summer, you just forget about everything and can lay on the beach in, in utter peace and silence. So I think I prefer the chunk vacation rather than the spread out vacation, which I guess you're more used to. Yeah. And I, I mean, I have the benefit of having worked for companies that provide unlimited PTO so I can just kind of take the time. I don't have to worry about making sure I hit so many days or I haven't used them all up or whatever, but I still have to be like mindful of how much time I'm actually taking off. I can't like take six months off and be like, Hey, you know, I'm just taking a six month break from work this, this year. Uh, feel free to keep sending the checks. <laughs> I mean, have you tried doing that yet? Actually, when I was recruited to the company I'm working now, uh, the, the lady that I, I talked with, uh, in HR, had mentioned she was like we we can't technically call it unlimited PTO because we did used to call it that and we had somebody take six months off and, and I mean they, they, they eventually had to let him go for I don't know if it was related to that or not but like <laughs> yeah I mean you do have to still work they do need they do need you to like be worth the money they're paying you but um 
I don't have to worry so much about like, ooh, did I use too many days or am I going to run out of, you know, I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, that's nice. I talked to some other teachers about the utterly convoluted system of, of days off that my school has. And I assume most other schools have the same thing. There's, well, th there's personal days that you can take, but you have to schedule those quite literally months in advance uh, because in a, in a certain, there's some kind of rule in a given school district, only five teachers can have personal days on a given day at the same time. So like teachers couldn't all plan like a, I don't know, mass exodus to Coachella or something. <laughs> But besides that, there's not only those days, there's also sick days. There's also family sick days, which are different because sick days transfer into it's a whole big thing. Um, but I, I talked with another physics professor, uh, professor slash teacher, and we, we tried to figure out like the optimal way to use your, your days off as a teacher so that you can like bank your days for the future and also get like eventually overtime pay for things it, it, it's a whole thing we spent like half an hour crunching the numbers on on optimal day usage but uh, interesting well yeah that's another thing like that's a component yeah. i don't have is the overtime like i i might work overtime but i am salaried so i don't get paid overtime so you know that's a different aspect to that but interesting teaching is a, a unique profession in that i i get home from school uh in the afternoon and then i go right back to work <laughs> Uh, I spend most of my nights lesson planning and, and grading, getting things done. But anyway, I guess that's a tivolt. Another tivolt is that uh, actually, I'm not entirely sure if this is a tivolt. Maybe it's like a it's like a tivolt fairy. It's like a Vraska. Sometimes <laughs> good, sometimes not so good. I put in the show notes that I have a new roommate. Any guesses as to what I mean by that? At my first thought was an animal of some kind, like you've got a rat or a mouse or something that that decided that it's now living with you or maybe a bat we had that happen one time a bat yeah but i, I don't know some that was my first guess was something to do with an animal well you're right it is a it would fall under pests uh in in the summonings uh but it's actually a spider uh and it's like three inches long or so it's always out of my reach on the ceiling and it likes to move around a lot and like the few times that I've seen it, I've been like in a rush to like leave for school or I was like running late to an event. And like I saw it just hanging out there on my wall looking at me and I was like, oh, it's you again. <laughs> like, And we always have like a brief like I, I see its little eyes lock with mine and we have a mutual understanding. We're like, oh, like you're still here. Uh, obviously, I'm surprised because I own the place and he doesn't. So uh, I don't know. <laughs> Are what, you sure about like, that? Is, is he paying rent? OK, I got uh, renting. Fine. But I mean. Is he paying rent? I am. Where's his rent? I, I don't see it. So I, I guess the upside is that as long as he keeps eating some of the bugs that get in here, maybe he's not the worst roommate to have. As long as he doesn't go like in my bed. I'm pretty cool with spiders. All right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fine. I don't think I'd be sleeping much, but, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that works if that's your thing. Yeah, like, do you, do you not like leave a spider in your house if you, if you have the opportunity? No, not typically. I will get rid of it in some way, shape or form. But then more will come i mean maybe but like at least i have the peace of mind of knowing that that one isn't there and you know it's like an out of out of sight out of mind kind of thing like i'm sure there are others around but i haven't seen them so i'm not worried about it something something about uh keep your friends close but your enemies <laughs> closer <laughs> yeah something like that. this guy is about as close as it gets <laughs> anyway what's up with you this week 
Yeah. So, uh, as you mentioned, Memorial Day is this weekend in the U.S. and uh, that means an extended vacation or an extended weekend for me as well. So I've got a four-day weekend, taking the time to head up to New Hampshire and do some hiking up in the I think it's called the White National White Mountain National Forest. I think is what it's called. So we're gonna do some awesome hiking, hoping to get some really good pics uh, up there and and do some photography and stuff. It, it's gonna be a nice weekend away from tech and just uh, the busyness of, of work and all that. So it's it, it's going to be really fun. I'm excited. So you're going to be uh, painting the pictures, you mean? Uh, nope. I meant taking them with a uh, camera, you know? Uh, oh, I'm not but, sure if you've but, ever heard of those, but yeah. What, what did you just say about tech, though? Right. You could use a, so, a pinhole camera and, a, and some old film. I'll be disconnected from the internet. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay, okay. Fair enough. Uh, my tibble is that I've got a lot going on with work lately, and... Um, it's it's not like overbearing or anything, but I'm up against a clock on on a couple of things with a deadline here. So just want to make sure that I'm able to deliver well and and get out uh you know the work that I'm supposed to deliver at the end of this deadline. So that's that's it for me. Pretty mundane week this week. So on to our listener question of the week. This one is another one from Batwheels. I think we had one from Batwheels last week. Uh, but Batwheels has another one here. It says I feel like we all have discussed how to cope with a really bad losing streak because it can be really frustrating. Do you have any tips for when you're on a hot streak? I feel like I start to become way overconfident and then cause easy mistakes to happen. I totally feel that. I have fewer hot streaks than I do losing streaks. I'll put that out there, um, especially lately. But yeah, no, that that's definitely a thing that happens. I totally agree with you. I think it's very easy to get set into this mindset when you're doing well that like, oh, I'm just good. I don't have to pay as much attention or I don't have to keep doing some of the things that I've been doing. It's very easy to get comfortable. And when you get comfortable, as you say, bat wheels, you make easy mistakes. So I think the the trick for me there is to just not get comfortable. If you're on a hot streak, just like when you're on a losing streak, maybe take some time away, take a break, come back to it later with a fresh mind, fresh eyes. And I think that'll help keep you focused on the points that got you to that hot streak in the first place. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned this. I had a bit of a uh, a hot streak in Ikoria Limited for a little bit. I was chaining tons of drafts. And then I lost like three straight. And I'm like, uh-oh, my gems are looking a little little low now. So it sucks when you have a hot streak and then fall off of it. So kind of like you mentioned, it's important to realize when it's happening. One skill that I've gotten pretty okay at is recognizing when you are doing well and comparing that to when you weren't doing well. So uh, I think it can be really useful to say, well, uh, I ran hot this this like this draft. I my draws lined up really well, uh, and this kind of in my head balances out that one time that I remember when I drew four lands in a row in a top deck war. Right? Um, Magic is essentially a random game, right? You never know what card is going to come off the top of your library unless you scry it or something. But you know, stick with my analogy here. You never really know what's coming up next, but. Uh, if you are a little more okay with your end results it, when you're both losing and when you're winning, then I think you end up enjoying the game more overall. Uh, so instead of attributing your, you know, maybe lucky top decks that cause you to win the game to your skill, it's good to say, oh, well, there was quite a bit of uh, randomness involved in that win. Uh, but I got lucky and it was a lot of fun. That can help balance out in your head the times when you go, oh my God, my fifth land. And it helps me look at it with a little bit more of like a wink uh, than, than I, I guess like a, I don't know, droopy head. Uh, I'd rather kind of see the fun in the randomness 
uh, when both winning or losing, then get too into my head about whether I'm doing good or bad. Yeah, and I think actually to piggyback off of that, first comment I wanted to piggyback off of that with is we actually did an entire Mental Magic episode on this. So if you're interested in hearing more about what Ben was just talking about, like being comfortable with the highs and the lows of win streaks and loss streaks, go check out that episode. Uh, I'll link that in the episode description. But also keep in mind that as as Ben mentioned as well, this is a game of variance and it's a game of randomness. And oftentimes, like you might still be doing the correct things and lose. Like that just because you lost doesn't mean you messed up, doesn't mean that you did something wrong. And so it's good to recognize as well that just one loss while technically breaking a streak doesn't really mean that you're off your game or anything. Again, maybe take that time to step away, get something to drink. I try not to run multiple drafts together when I trophy or when I owe three. Like if I if I trophy, I take a break, I get up and I go go do something else for a little bit and then I come back and run another draft. If I get an O3, I do the same thing. If I hit like middle of the ground, I might run them back, but it's it's sort of just a way in my head to give me signals to break up my play times and, and things of that nature. But yeah, come up with, with a, a, a method or a pattern that works for you and keeps your head on straight, so to speak, so that you don't get into these situations where you're focusing too much on winning or too much on losing and just try to have fun with it. So uh, how about we get into the flavor town uh, of, of Strixhaven? No, there's really no flavor in this set. I think I think we're done here. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, let's let's start with the story this time around. So for those that haven't heard a Flavortown episode before, we usually start with just kind of a brief overview of, of the story. We try to read it over. We don't always touch on all of the what they've been doing. They kind of have like a main storyline, then some supplemental uh, character stories. We don't always touch all the character stories, but we always read the main storyline. And this time around, it was uh, it was pretty good. I liked it. Uh, the twins, uh, Will and Rowan, are, are fun. Uh, they've kind of become this secondary set of protagonists to follow. Uh, do you remember a while back when it was just Gatewatch after Gatewatch after Gatewatch? Every single set was more Gatewatch. Yeah, so there's it's like it's very interesting the way that happened because if if you're either new to Magic or you haven't really paid attention to the way sets are released, they are like the design team and everybody who's working on making the cards is they're way ahead of the sets we have now. They're like two years at least ahead of what sets are being released. So they already have all the sets for the next two years planned and ready to print and all that. That said, there was a point where they pivoted and they they started making all the sets and stories about the Gatewatch. And the Gatewatch, if you don't remember or haven't heard of them, are uh, basically it was a group of Planeswalkers. It was the same Planeswalkers for the majority of the Gatewatch run of story. There were a few that got added, but essentially it was Gideon, Liliana, Chandra, uh, Nissa and Jace were like the, the main ones, and then they added Teferi and I think Kaya as well. There were there were a few others that got added, but it was those main like five uh, planeswalkers, and it was kind of interesting. Like they were releasing inf- story information about the Gatewatch for a few sets in a row, and we got to like the fourth or fifth set where they had re- been releasing. Like it was very the story was all focused on the Gatewatch, and everybody was like, "Guys, we are really tired of the Gatewatch. Like, please stop. Give us new characters." And then they're just kind of like, "Okay, we're gonna stop." But like you got to wait two years to figure out that we stopped because <laughs> yeah. we've been doing this for a while. So it, it's an interesting delay in the way that uh, and actually I, th- I feel like it can make it make a lot of people think that they're not listening about the, the feedback on sets because it takes a long time for them to actually show up in the sets that you're seeing. But yeah, that that was like a little bit of a rambling on the Gatewatch Um so yes, we, we used to see a lot of Gatewatch, then they stopped focusing on the Gatewatch. You're right, though, we are kind of seeing like a little mini Gatewatch, I suppose, with these two. I mean, you do have to have main characters to follow in some way, shape, or form. 
Yeah, that's true. Uh, but I think at the time, like Avengers movies were coming out and it was all just very monotonous it, it, it was all kind of the same thing everywhere we looked but i mean they've been killing it recently there, there have been a lot of interesting characters showing up um some of them hits uh some there have been a few misses in there calyx was a little bit strange um we don't we didn't really know what was going on in theros beyond death the story was a little bit muddled um but i like where they've been going um having a uh nico eris that the first like non-binary planeswalker that was pretty cool a bit of representation in there is always good um as for uh, Will and, uh, and Rowan, uh, they kind of have a unique dynamic given that they're twins and uh, they kind of share a Planeswalker spark, which is something new that we haven't seen before. Uh, unless you count the, the, the uh, Modern Horizons 2 spoiler where apparently a large colony of bugs can, can share a spark. So it seems. Um, but we actually met Will and Rowan on, uh, on Kylum in Valor's Reach during Battle Bond. Although there... They had already planeswalked there. We we now know that they're from Eldraine. So it turns out that uh, that Eldraine was kind of like a prequel for them. Or I guess uh, Kylum was like a flash forward in time. I don't know. I guess they go to Kylum at some point and fight in Valor's Reach. But uh, I've been pretty happy to see how their story has evolved from uh, the nonsense of Eldraine, uh, I guess, kind of through Valor's Reach. And then now uh, seeing them on Strixhaven. I'm overall just really happy that this story wasn't just like, you know, great value brand harry potter right yeah i think a lot of folks were really worried about that because i it's a valid worry i i think it's a perfectly valid thing to just think like oh they're just gonna rip off harry potter completely and it's gonna mm -hmm. feel that and and it's just gonna be like meh but i think i was pretty excited at the beginning to to see us getting like the quote-unquote magic school genre uh, within magic obviously magic in the past has done a lot of different things they've done gothic horror they've done tons of different types of mythology we just got off of norse mythology and i really like seeing magic's take on like how they take these things from different aspects of either sci-fi with like the the phyrexians and things like that or mm -hmm. different aspects of fantasy through you know like the wizards and all that kind of stuff as well as actual real like human history or mythology and things like that and spinning them to all fit in the same multiverse like they they all exist on different planes but they feel very content like there's a lot of continuity somehow they all feel like they belong together and i'm really i was really excited to see how they handled that with this one i think they did a pretty good job with strixhaven yeah absolutely uh, some of the, the more interesting story points i guess if you don't want spoilers and you're still listening uh skip ahead around like five minutes um but I thought the whole thing with fighting the blood avatar at the end, calling back to the little spell that Will saw them use at the the Mage Tower match, it was it was cute. It's not the most uh, you know like dramatic, gripping story ever written, but it was serviceable. Uh, I thought it was kind of nuts that they didn't mention Will losing his leg in in the cards in any place yeah uh in fact i guess i should mention this now uh my dishonorable mention is that there w will's planeswalker card shows him with both legs so <laughs> i mean okay i agree with you they should have referenced it in some way shape or form on the cards somewhere but his planeswalker card may have just been him before he lost his leg like he was on strixhaven or he he was going to strixhaven for a handful of weeks or months or days at the very least before that happens so I guess, but if if you wanted a way to show that a character loses their leg, just show them 
with a missing leg. <laughs> like yeah. he, he he got it from fighting the blood avatar. Have like a battle hardened Will Kenrith. That it'd have been sweet. There's but, also another minor continuity error with uh with the card culmin- culmination of studies. Uh in that card art you see the blood avatar being trapped by the sigil that, that Ben was referencing with the whole mascot interception thing. And Will and Rowan are casting magic to keep it locked in place. And you can see that both Rowan and Will have swords in their hands, but it's explicitly mentioned that Will never had, didn't have his sword with him because he left his dorm room too fast and he had an ice sword. But in the art, it's very clearly a metal sword that is not made of ice. Good catch. I didn't even notice that one. Um, in other story news, um, Liliana is for a little bit attempting to resurrect Gideon, right? Uh, before kind of learning through her experiences that some things are best left unaltered, which is a, honestly a pretty good story beat for her, given that the thing that initiated her whole Planeswalker journey, the thing that ignited her spark, which we learned back in Magic Origins, was the fact that she tried to resurrect her. Uh, well, first she tried to cure her dying brother, uh, which killed him, and then she tried to resurrect him and accidentally turned him into a zombie lich, uh, and he's now like uh, a lich lord. Uh, I forget if she ended up defeating him or not, but yeah, poor Josu. Anyway, the fact that Liliana decides that to, to, to just kind of accept Gideon's sacrifice, which is really hard for her, uh, and to accept that, you know, it was the choice that he made, that he was happy with it. Also, I think he's like chilling in the afterlife on, on Theros now anyway. So uh, Yeah, he's his, like probably his, a god or something. Yeah, but... Um, so now Lily has, has experienced some character growth where rather than trying to selfishly reclaim what she thinks she deserves, which is getting Gideon back to kind of ease her own guilt, she kind of has to accept like this is the way it is and uh, I should be at peace with it, uh, which is a, a pretty cool uh, you know, bit of growth for uh, someone that was often depicted as just kind of generically evil. Yeah, I think that was a great way to wrap because it's it that really is like the wrapping up of her main story arc since her origin story. Like the mm. whole thing, she got into the contracts with the demons and everything. All of it was because she was trying to bring back a, a dead loved one. And this is another situation where she, though very often didn't explicitly mention that that she felt some form of love, whether it was familial or otherwise, for Gideon, this is a situation where she decides, okay, I'm going to walk away from this instead of trying to manipulate it in some way, shape, or form. And I like the quote. There's a quote that Belladros Witherbloom gives her, and I'm not going to quote the actual thing because we don't have it written down here and I don't want to misquote it, but essentially, you know, she says, like, the the pain of death is in some way, shape, or form, like, mitigated or dealt with by the way we treat the living. And, you know, it was an interesting thing to have her ponder. My biggest problem with the story overall with Strixhaven, though, was it, they rushed it. Like, it was only done in five, like, story beats or chapters, if you will. And it all felt, it felt just way too fast. I think they needed at least two or three more of them, maybe twice as many. The attack on the school felt incredibly abrupt. We had, like, this little bouncing around between what was going on with Will and Rowan over to Luca, because Luca was also on Stri- uh, uh, in, involved in Strixhaven. And I keep saying on Strixhaven, but we haven't actually mentioned this. Strixhaven's the name of the school. It exists on the plane called Arcavios. So, you know, the, it, a lot of folks, if you don't pay attention to the story, might not have known that. But Arcavios is the plane that Strixhaven is on. Um, but yeah, they, they, Luca, like, it, it, the whole story starts out with Luca getting captured by the Auric, which are like these, this like cult of mages who are like ousted by the school uh, for, for manipulating magics that they don't find should be manipulated. But Luca gets like captured by the Auric, and then we see a bunch of stuff with Will and Rowan, and then suddenly Luca's not captured by the Auric, and he's like off doing his own thing. And then Extus hears about him, and he's like, you know what, bring that guy here. And then suddenly they're attacking 
the school and he's controlling an army of mage hunters. It just felt very like it just didn't feel paced correctly. They could have either. I, I think they needed more time, more words to actually pace it properly. But yeah, it, it felt weird. The writing was pretty good. I think the the author did a great job. And I correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was the same author for all five stories. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, so, so a lot of the writing in and of itself had good continuity. It didn't really like backtrack on anything, which I thought was great. I'd love to have also seen a little bit more of Arcavios than just Strixhaven. And we kind of got that with the story that involved Luca because he's off like wandering Arcavios for a bit. But I think that that actually probably would have been a bit too much for, for one set. So hopefully we'll get more of that when we come back to Arcavios in some way, shape or form. Um, the hints at the at the power of the twins was also cool. We kind of got to see that they're way more powerful than anybody really thought they were. Uh, Rowan's capable of handling the, the snarl, which was kind of cool, even though she like does for a brief second and then like peters out because it's too much for her and it's like okay she's pretty powerful but like still has work to do it, it, that was kind of cool of course the redemption arc of liliana was was really cool and it intrigues me for what we'll see from her next i wonder i'm guessing she's going to be the next garrick where she's just going to disappear for a while they're just not going to mention her in the lore because her story has wrapped up nicely it's in a very calm place and the the story of strixhaven ends with her accepting her role as a professor at strixhaven and gives everybody her full name because she was going by professor onyx for a while and then at the end of this she actually you know tells everybody she's liliana Vess. and so i think we could i i think i would be comfortable seeing her just sit on arcavios doing her thing in strixhaven for a while and just just chill and we just don't see her in a few for like a handful of sets i think would be kind of nice i'd actually like to see more of garrick because he shows up briefly and then just disappears again but it was like years before we saw him uh after after the chain veil stuff went on mm. By the way, I found the uh, the author, Adana Washington. On the off chance you happen to hear this, good work. Uh, we, we liked it. Yeah, and the one other gripe I'll have, you mentioned, um, you know, with like Nico Eris, there was good representation there, and that was obviously with Theros, um, or no, sorry, Kaldheim, but there was a whole missed beat of how they handled Killian, and I think that's worth mentioning, that they, they uh, kind of yeah. just gravitated, Killian is the son of Dean Ambrose, uh, and they gravitated toward the whole, like, familial honor sort of trope from, like, you know, like, Asian histories. And I saw a lot of folks who are part of that community who were not happy with this. And I'm not part of that community, so I'm not going to speak as to whether it was, like, correct of them necessarily to do that or not to do that or, or what they should have done, because I don't know. But it definitely wasn't this. Like, they, they should have handled this better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw some of that discourse online as well floating around. And yeah, same. I, I, I don't actually think I read the Killian specific story that went more in depth with that. That was I, I read only one of them and I believe it was uh, Dina's one because I really liked Dina as a card. And I was just kind of curious what, what she was about. Um, maybe I'll check that one out at some point, see what was going on. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it feels uh, even just depicted in some of the cards. Um, I think the flavor text on one of, one of the cards is, is something like uh, like. Killian, like most students can't handle Dean Ambrose for a semester. Killian had to deal with him for a whole lifetime or something like that. Yeah. It, it's like, okay, I mean, I get it. You are depicting people's experiences, but isn't magic about escapism? Like, is, is this something that you want depicted in a game that's supposed to be fun? Might this just be stressful for someone that had actually lived through something like that? Uh, plus, isn't it just kind of safer from like an overall perspective to not touch on something like this at all. The whole uh, stereotypical depiction of, of Asian parents in media. I don't know. I, I think it could have been easily avoided. I don't really see why they wanted to include this here. Like, was this a beat that somebody in a, 
in like a meeting room was like, you know what we absolutely need? This. Yeah, that's exactly my point. And like I said, I don't want to make a comment about what they should have done because I, I don't represent that that subgroup or that community well at all. Uh, I'll leave that to them to, to, yeah, I'll leave that to them to, to voice their opinions on. But I just thought it was worth mentioning, you know, that wasn't something that was missed uh, on our side. We, we definitely think that should have been handled better. Mm-hmm. Anywho, why don't we jump into the card discussion aspect of Flavortown? So again, for those that are maybe new or uh, maybe coming back, welcome to Flavortown. As you may know, this is your destination for all things fun in in form and function and limited. You know, we're about nonsense here at at Draft Chaff. And one way that we can appreciate the nonsense of magic more is kind of by appreciating some things that might go underappreciated. So whether it's great art, or great flavor text, we kind of want to, you know, give it its, its due diligence and shout it out for what it deserves. So Strixhaven has some of the punniest and most unique top-down card designs we've seen in ages. So cards that were kind of inspired by maybe like a real-life joke or a real-life thing, uh, and then they kind of built a card around it. And we want to take some time just to really, you know, appreciate all the hard work that went into crafting these uh, these nice little jokes for us. So we're also going to talk about these cards in the context of Strixhaven Limited. Don't worry, this isn't an entirely non-gameplay related episode, uh, especially now that we're, you know, getting pretty deep into the format and we've all gotten to try out these cards for the most part. Yeah, so obviously Strixhaven being a school of magic and like wizardry and such, the flavor in the set is very heavily school themed, maybe has to do with something us not being that far out of college. I think I graduated, what, two years ago now, uh, and Ben's a teacher, so we're still very close to, to the school aspect, but we loved this. This The the whole entire flavor of this set was, was very, I don't know if it's fair to say near and dear to our hearts necessarily, but it, it hit home, we'll put it that way. The five colleges each got a very unique identity. Their cards all play into their themes very well. There's no, uh, you know, missed beats like in, in Zendikar Rising with like black green just completely missing. They all worked. Every single one of them was draftable and it felt really, really great when you got to do the thing that the college was intending to do. You know, the Quandrix physics mages are probably the most on brand for Ben. I don't know what's most on brand for me necessarily. I liked the, I, I, I guess I should say I identified as a lore hold as far as the quiz is concerned uh, with the historical aspects and such. And spirits are kind of one of my favorite uh, sub-creature subtypes. But um, we do have to shout out lore hold at the very least for completely redefining what white and red can do in a limited environment. One thing that we saw very early on with this format was that it wasn't just another guild set. They did they did tweak things here and there to make these two color pairs feel different than their Ravnica guild counterparts, and that was awesome. Very excited to see that. I actually uh, mentioned a bit before the show that in my school, we've been playing a little bit of paper magic after school with some of the, the in-person teachers and, and a handful of students, and somebody opened a Quandrix command and gave it to me, and I have it sitting up in the front of my classroom now, because it, it, it's about as close as I can get to finding a physics classroom depicted on a magic card. Anyway, there's some what, what I call large-scale flavor wins. Uh, for example, having the flip cards as the deans that each represent one half of their school's color pair. So, for example... The, uh, in, uh, in Silver Quill, a Dean Shale builds up creatures that enter the battlefield and like, kind of encourages them to, uh, and I guess like spurs them on to get better, where Dean Embrose kind of knocks them down. They both put counters on creatures. They both kind of help teach their students in a way, but one is this kind of a, like positive reinforcement, and the other, I guess you could call negative reinforcement. Um, 
or not negative reinforcement, positive punishment. I remember my psychology terms. Um, but anyway, the, the cycle of, uh, of like bad rares that uh, have the alternate casting costs, the masteries, uh, they're templated to uh, on Arena if you cast them for the discounted cost. Uh, it comes up saying student cost, which I think is kind of funny. Uh, and then just the whole idea of learning lessons works out super well mechanically. Uh, especially because a lot of the learn cards actually depict growth of some kind, whether through the name or the art uh, or like the function of the card. And uh, they sometimes just like igneous inspiration, for example, uh, or guiding voice, that kind of thing. So a lot of it's, it's nice that a lot of the lesson cards are almost like payoffs to that or, or depict the outcome of an event. Uh, people meeting it are an archaic and gaining some kind of wisdom. Or honestly, even just the one that we that we saw in our in our cracker draft, um, basic conjuration. Somebody cheering after they've you know summoned a, a huge creature or something. Yeah, and then you also have things like introduction of prophecy and introduction to annihilation. Like they're the the actual like you know you can think of them as like one hundred and one college courses that that are the lessons that you're that you're going to be learning for that that particular course. It was uh, pretty mm-hmm. pretty well done. You want to start us off? Uh, we're going to go through five cards each that we wanted to highlight from uh, from Strixhaven, ones that we thought the flavor was just especially delicious. Yeah, so again, these might just be, like, flavor in any capacity. It might just be the art, might be the name, might be the actual function of the card within the game. My first one here is multiple choice. They hit this nail right on the head, like... It's an X cost card. If you cast, like you can choose which of them you're you're getting. You can do the all of the above thing. It it just it reminded me of SATs, so I should probably have hated the card. But they hit from a flavor perspective and like top down design, they hit that perfectly. Yeah, that one's great. It's also a pretty great card. Uh, I like buying this one back, um, and I believe uh, you can target yourself to balance one of your own creatures to your hand, right? So you can get Biblioplex Assistant and, and loop it. Uh, is that true? I don't know that off the top of my head. I feel like I've done that before. Maybe I haven't. Maybe I'm thinking of a different loop. Maybe the Plex Assistant has some, no, some you, fun. No, you can do that. Uh, the, if X equals two, you may choose a player. They return a creature they control to its owner's hand. Right. So, yes. so as part of that, you can kind of, in the late game, just loop biblioplex assistant and that and kind of make a bunch of four fours and draw a bunch of cards yeah that's that's good stuff what's your first one my first one is actually uh my art pick for the set shade wing laureate uh i just really liked this uh this depiction of the inklings uh i think a lot of the inkling arts i mentioned this before a lot of the inkling arts just kind of look silly uh i'm not entirely sure why i think that they kind of have like goofy looking faces uh but shout out to uh igor Cluck. Well done. Sorry. <laughs> Nailed it. But anyway, great, great work there. I like the brush strokes uh, in, in the, the clouds as well. And I like how the inklings are depicted more like uh, shades or, or little familiars that have been summoned as opposed to these kind of like Muppet looking things that like the, the token art has on them. Uh, and I think it's cool that they're kind of flowing out of the cloak of this student too. Um, I will say my runner up for favorite art is Crackle with Power. Uh that card just looks awesome to cast. Uh, just like it, it looks exactly how powerful it is, which I think is a, a pretty sweet flavor win. Like uh, with Rowan rising up in like this kind of storm of, of energy. Big fan. Cool depiction. Agreed. Yeah, they totally knocked it out of the park. So my second one here is and and I should preface by saying like these aren't in any particular order. They're just the way that I slapped them down. But my my next one is Hall Monitor with a honorable mention for Honor Troll because they hit these like and and I guess this also works the same kind of reason with multiple choice. But like 
they're just so good. Like hall monitor. Are you kidding me? It's a lizard. And like, ah, uh, that's just perfect. So I, I don't know that that really every single one of those cards that they spoiled, especially because like now you you as the listener didn't grow up with Ben. I assume you might have. <laughs> I did for sure. And Ben is one of the most punny people in the world and loves to come up with random puns that are not even necessarily like very closely related to what you're trying <laughs> to talk about or whatever. So yeah, I've gotten yeah. very accustomed to good and bad puns and we just had a blast with these. We just kept messaging each other like like back and forth about how awesome these were when they were spoiled. Like I don't know. I don't I don't have anything more like constructive to say about them. They were just awesome. What was the, I made a really good one the other day. It was so good that it caused Zach to hang up our call. I forget, what did I say? I, what was it? I immediately blocked it out of my head. I don't know. <laughs> oh man, whatever it was, it was awesome. Uh, I just don't remember what it was either. It'll come to me. I'll put it in the Discord. Anyway, my second one is Go Blank, uh, which is a fantastic top-down design that I also wanted to shout out for art purposes. Uh, I think everybody can remember the experience of all of a sudden losing your train of thought and also forgetting everything you've ever learned about a topic in the, just the middle of a quiz or a test or something. And this card perfectly represents what that does. Uh, it knocks some ideas out of your head, uh, so to speak. And then all the stuff that you've learned before, even literal spells that you have learned before, they disappear, uh, which I just think is hilarious. Also, Wiley Becker is quickly becoming one of my f uh, favorite magic artists. I feel like every set, uh, I, I wind up putting one of her artists or one of her art pieces as my favorite for the set. Um, th this one is probably in my top five, but I really like her, her style. It's pretty unique. I think Soul Shatter really exemplifies uh, fr from Zendikar Rising a little bit ago, uh, her, her really cool kind of uh, almost like dulled color aesthetic that, that works so well for fantasy. Yeah, good I agree. stuff. Very, very good. You've also, I, I actually have noticed you've said you've done the same thing with with uh, Igor or Igor. I'm not going to try to pronounce the last name, but you know, for <laughs> for Shadewing Laureate, you you've mentioned him or I should say them a few times in the last few sets. So yeah, we've got a couple of uh, pretty solid artists continuing to make great uh, magic art. I'm actually going to look up Igor real quick. I'm, I'm kind of curious what other ones they, they've come up with. Oh wow, they've been a magic artist for a while, even doing yep. some of the some of the old Phyrexian prey tours. Oh Indeed. yeah, this is great stuff. So third up for me is Unwilling Ingredient. Again, the flavor here is just phenomenal. They're like students making potions or mixing some stuff in a cauldron and they just have this live frog that they're dropping in there. And he's just like, really? Really? We're doing this? <laughs> like, you're going to have to keep me here because I'm going to try to jump out. And flavorfully from like a mechanical design, having Menace is kind of cool. I don't know that it necessarily fits the the card itself. Like the frog doesn't necessarily look very menacing, but... Uh, the the ability to come back from the graveyard and stuff like it's useful after you've put it in the the cauldron you're like you're doing your thing with it like I I don't know I found that very very interesting and it got a chuckle out of me when I saw it like that it just felt very uh on flavor as well yeah nice throwback to dissecting frogs I think the flavor text on it says something like like don't give me that look <laughs> or something along those lines yeah it's great next up I want to shout out two cards for they're actually tied for my favorite flavor text of the set. The first one up is Serpentine Curve, which I, I love little like one-off flavor text that just kind of end. Uh, they, they don't overstay their welcome. But Serpentine Curve's flavor text, Math Bites. <laughs> Perfect. Sure does. Uh, and of course, the art depicts a, a quite large and snake-y-looking fractal about to probably chomp down on, on whoever. Good card, too. Uh, and good in multiples. I, I like playing a handful of these. And I feel like Serpentine Curve and... Um, the ley line one. I always forget the green one's name. Uh, I never remember. 
Yep. Playland Invocation, that's it. These two are, are have been better than I thought they were. Uh, as just kind of making these huge late game, like 7-7s, seven 10-10s, ten just arbitrarily large creatures that can close out a game pretty effectively in, in your later game blue and green decks. Second up, Arcane Subtraction. Uh, the flavor text of this one reads, Class learned little that day. And I'll admit, the first time I read this, I just kind of glanced it over like, oh yeah, me too. I've had classes where my class learned little. And then I was like, wait a minute. It shrinks a creature. They learned little. You know, like they learned small. They, they actually... Man, good stuff. Maybe I'm just dumb for not catching that one on my first readover, but uh, I thought it was pretty funny. That is funny. Part of me feels like you came up with that before the writer of the, the flavor text. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that is that is actually pretty funny. For me, my next one is a flavor text one as well, uh, and it goes to Echoing Equation for my favorite flavor text of the set, which says any good experiment is repeatable. And uh, mm -hmm. as anybody who is familiar with the sciences in some way, shape or form, that is kind of the crux of it all. So, you know, I, I really appreciate that. I know, Ben, you got a kick out of that one as well. And Echoing Equation is a phenomenal mm -hmm. card. Just very, very cool design overall. I think I might need to get a bunch of these Quandrix cards and just like staple them up on the front of my classroom. So when students ask me questions, I can just be like, hey, look at this, this trading card game. It'll answer for you. <laughs> yeah. Next up, uh, just one that I love uh, from top-down design, Tome Shredder. The dog, your homework, you know? <laughs> uh, this one is a little bit rough around the edges. Uh, <laughs> rough around the edges. But uh, by the fact that it would have been better if it ate spells that were, like, on the stack somehow. Um, because it's like, then you're trying to learn it, and then the dog eats your homework. This feels like... I guess it's work that's already done, so it's in the graveyard, but then you have to turn it in. What's the equivalent of that? I don't know. Maybe it's fine. Uh, things that you've already learned it eats, I suppose that works out. Uh, but anyway, th this is just too funny. Um, this thing can also grow in the late game, can occasionally tussle with those larger creatures that I mentioned. But overall, this is just, a, a I think, actually worse than people thought it was. Uh, I think it's a little lower now for me than, than when it started out. Uh, but if you're in one of those decks that really cares about exiling stuff from the graveyard, this is your best card for that. And finally, my favorite art piece for the set is Magma Opus. Also very clever naming and a phenomenal card in Limited, absolute bomb. But it's just a beautiful piece of art, like all the reds and blues meshing so well together. And yeah, I love it. Last but not least for me, I've got the Biblioplex. So it kind of makes sense that the supposed most legendary library in the multiverse would call back to a card that is a little bit before our time. So for anybody else that's that's newer to magic, there's an old card called Library of Alexandria, which gave you the ability to uh, draw an additional card uh, as long as you had seven cards in your hand. So it doesn't see uh, too much you know popular play these days, but it, it was a... Uh, Pretty popular back then. I'd be lying if I said I knew all the decks that was played in now, but I believe it's legal in Vintage, and I don't think it's Legacy legal. Uh, maybe it is. I wouldn't know. But it sees uh, some some kind of niche play and some very specific archetypes. But uh, the idea that this library, the Biblioplex, calls back to that with its activated ability, I don't think anybody has ever activated the Biblioplex when they had seven cards in it, right? That just has never happened. I, I don't think I've actually seen it played in Limited, so I'm not, not sure about that. It's sometimes better than one of the Scrylands, sometimes a little worse than one of the Scrylands, but it, it's overall fine. I mean, it's always just, I guess it's never worse than one of the Scrylands. It's always just like a, well, I guess if you need the colored mana source, but I've put it in a deck a few times and been pretty happy with it. Um, I think it's just 
one of those cases where the designers knew full well that people weren't really going to be activating this with seven cards in hand. But the cost of putting that extra little line of text on there to call back to Library of Alexandria was just, you know, such a high payoff that they made the right call and just put it on there. Yeah. And I mean, it goes without saying, but the whole kind of methodology now of not making lands legendary, it's it, it bites us <sighs> here too. But you know what? It's fine, I guess. We're going to have to concede that point going forward. I, I wanted to shout out some last uh, honorable mentions here. The Mystical Archives. I mean, all of them. They all look great. They're all fantastic. And we could get into a, a heated debate, <laughs> if you will, about some of the, the cards, the Faithless Looting in particular, that really seemed to get people riled up. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool. And uh, I will stick by my point that any type of created visual art that challenges people to talk about it uh, is effective. And uh, whether or not art is good or not isn't really that relevant. But if it uh, makes you think and makes you question things, then that that's pretty cool art. But besides that, I want to shout out uh, Increasing Vengeance, uh, Shock, and Defiant Strike, all of which I think have just fantastic arts going for them. Yeah, and I'll chime in there too. Pretty much all the blue cards to me had amazing art. They they really were stunning. Mm. Strategic Planning, Blue Sun Zenith are all Mind's amazing. Desire. Time Warp looked amazing. Mind's Desire looked amazing. I was also a big fan of Shock. I really liked Ionize as well. That that one looked mm. fantastic. And Lightning Bolt looked amazing. Uh, I actually ended up picking up the, the Ultra Pro playmat of Lightning Bolt from the uh, Mystical Archive series. So, big fan nice, of that one. Nice. I think I might just order a bunch of these mystical archive cards uh, i mean they look fantastic and when are these cards ever going to be printed at this you know beautiful quality again a lot of these are playables that i'm just gonna like i'll grab a natural order that i'll, I'll toss in, a, in something or uh, i don't know i need like lightning helix for a deck that i'm making why not I'll, I'll, I'll just pick up some of these now plus i haven't spent money on paper magic cards in a while and now that we're starting to get back into uh you know, a more normal society, at least here in the United States. Uh, actually, just in New Jersey, we got the announcement that uh, stores can lift their mandatory face mask uh, requirements, which is, that's interesting. We'll, we'll see how that works out. Um, I mean, we're both vaccinated now, so uh, I guess things might start getting back to normal. I, I think some of the LGS stores around us are even going to be having... Uh, you know, maskless events with proof of vaccination. I saw our, our local game store, Nerdvana, down in South Jersey. Uh, they said that if you uh, show proof of vaccination, you won't have to wear a mask in their store. Are we going back to normal? Sounds like we might be getting close at, at the very least. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And I'm actually, I, again, from a from a flavor perspective, of course, the Mystical Archives just fit in perfectly because the Biblioplex existed and, and Mystical Archives, uh, need I say more. But I'm curious, yeah. you know, a lot of folks, I think when, when they first announced the Mystical Archives, were curious about how, and skeptical even, about how it was going to affect the limited environment, just injecting a bunch of extra cards like this and, and some pretty high power ones as well. And I think it worked out pretty well. I would really like yeah. to see more Mystical Archives as a regular thing. Maybe they're not called Mystical Archives, but like a cool border like that with new art for cards that are seeing play in a lot of formats. I think that'd be really cool. It's really very low cost from like hindering limited or anything like that, as long as they're curated properly. And I think it was a great hit. I, I would really like to see these more often. And it gets around having to print like dedicated master sets. You can just yeah. dump a bunch of cool cards that people want to see. Yeah, I think it was an absolute success as well. Uh, I think it felt almost like drafting a cube. It did, you never yeah. knew what kind of old power you're going to open. And they clearly tested this. A lot of the uncommon ones 
they may as well have just been in the set, right? Like Village Rights, uh, Opt, uh, Eliminate. These cards just felt totally perfect for the set. Yeah, agreed. They they definitely do seem to have tested them and, and, like I said, curated them well for the set that they put them in. I'd really like to see what another pass at this looks like. And I, I don't think they've announced anything resembling this for uh, Forgotten Realms. I could be wrong about that. They do have like the sketch artwork uh, coming, yeah. but they and, and and you know making it look like not the sketch. I think the sketch is in Modern Horizons too. But they have uh, it looks like it comes out of the player's handbook from D anD D. So they do have yeah, alternate cool. alternate frames, but they haven't seemed to announce anything resembling Mystical Archive where these extra cards are going to be slotted into packs. I'd really like to see more of that going forward. All right, that does it for us this week. Thanks so much for joining us on our latest trip to Flavortown. Hope you enjoyed, and uh, we'll be excited to go through this again with Forgotten Realms. Forgotten Realms is going to be one that's kind of near and dear to my heart as a D&D nerd. Uh, I am very excited to see how the rest of that set shapes up and uh, walk through some of the lore for, for Forgotten Realms. It's going to be awesome. If you're not already in the Discord, you definitely want to jump in there with all the spoilers going on and our anniversary shenanigans coming up. You're going to want to be there. You're not going to want to miss that. So definitely check out the Discord. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. Again, we've got a whole bunch of different tiers there. You can get stickers, show notes, behind the scenes nonsense, and some deck building stuff as well. Check that out if you're so inclined. If you're not and you still want to support the show, just share it around. Get get more people listening to it. More ears is always good. Or at the very least, jump into that Discord, as I mentioned. If you want to reach out to us, you can do so on Twitter. You can find me at RanikGalfridian or Ben at Betafish1 and the podcast directly at DraftChaffPod. You can also email us at DraftChaffPod at gmail.com. And that does it for us. We'll talk to you next week. Later, everybody. I think it just started thunderstorming outside my apartment. Are you getting this too? Nope. The heck? I mean, it was super humid today. I, I guess uh, I guess this is happening. So won't keep this going too long. I I, I mean, I don't know, should I shut down my PC? I, this thing is kind of new. I don't want to get this thing blown up. Yeah, just plug it, it into totally a, a surge protector. You'll be fine. Yeah, I got a, I got a surge protector. It's, it's probably all good. But anyway, I wanted to chat a little bit about spoiler season, given that it's it's going on right now. Squirrels. Oh, right. oh yes, dude. I am... <laughs> So excited for squirrels. Uh, some of you know from the Discord, actually just talking about it in the last day or two, um, I have long had this project in mind that I've never actually executed on. Well, I've partially executed on it. I actually should clarify. I have wanted for a long time to have a deck of at, representing every color. So like a monocolored deck, EDH that is, monocolored EDH deck that represents each color relatively well. And I've been sort of mulling this over and I haven't, I, I built a Cranko deck. It's one of my favorite EDH decks and one of my mo more competitive ones at that. And I haven't really gone further than that. And I was originally planning for green to be a Yeva deck. Oh, so yeah. we just cast a bunch of stuff, do the creature thing. But now I really want it to be squirrels. Like how hilarious would that be? It'd be very, I mean, it's probably not going to be unique for long because everybody's going to be building a squirrel deck, I think. But I, I think it'd be awesome. And it sounds like it's actually getting enough support that I could do it. Originally, I was considering doing like a critters deck where it was like a stipulation mm. of no creature above like two power or whatever and no humans. And it had to be like, you know, pests, uh, spiders, squirrels, things like, you know, critters. Um, Anything animal sanctuary can get? Let me look that up. Oh, that would be a good stipulation too. But now I'm thinking there might actually be enough support to just do squirrels and like changelings. That's true. Uh, 
I guess this wouldn't really work. Animal Sanctuary does bird, cat, dog, goat, ox, snake. I could have sworn there was another one. There um, may be. Another, uh, another I don't know land that I'll look it up real quick. But yeah, I, I do want to do that for one for every color, all five colors, and and then actually a colorless one as well. So I think Squirrel's next on the list. I think I'm going to do that one next. And then I also really, today, because they released Asmore. I'm not going to bother trying to pronounce the full name, uh, <laughs> but they released her card finally. And I can't believe it's never occurred to me because I'm a huge fan of cooking. Like I love food. I love to cook. I love learning new techniques in the kitchen and stuff like that. I want to make a food deck, like a whole deck, just dead. Like not one that is like corviled. Like I, I don't want to do that kind of thing. <laughs> I want like a yeah. dedicated thematic food deck where there's like a chef and you have like a machete or like, actually machete wouldn't work, but like, you know, cleavers and th- like equipment that you'd find in the kitchen and a lot of food generators. I don't know how the deck wins yet, <laughs> but it's going to make a lot of food and it's going to, going to tell a story in that way. So that would be awesome. I'm really excited for that. I saw, um, Ryan Sachs, uh, who is a longtime uh, contributor to the magic space and community, uh, was mentioning after they released they they spoiled Chatterfang, one of the the new legendary squirrels. He mentioned uh, wanting to build a, an ADHD deck. So the whole like like. I, 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 he has a whole thread on it and it was very, very cool the way he was thinking through it, but like having multiple win cons, so you can't like decide on your win con and you like bounce back and forth and like, uh, you know, doing like the, Ooh, squirrel kind of thing, like (laughs) was where it all, where the idea came from, but it it sounded hilarious and I'm, I'm excited to, uh, see where that goes because that looked awesome i found the land i was thinking of it's swarm yard uh, which can let you regenerate an insect rat spider or squirrel wait how does that work with the planeswalker it's it's an insect when it's not on the battlefield oh oh okay okay yeah once it's on the battlefield it's just a planeswalker okay yeah that that works then but it it, it Um, can be hit by like collected company it can be hit by uh green sun zenith or uh any of those big spells that go for creatures reanimate effects that's wild stuff anyway uh I love grief. I don't know what it is. Like, I I think it's super cool. Um, I'm a big fan of, like, elementals. And uh, I've always wanted to make an elemental commander deck, too, actually. Maybe that'll be one of my next projects. Um, But I'm always happy to see new powerful elementals get built. Something about elementals just hits right. Even the new blue one, I think, is pretty cool. Um, Subtlety. And I yep. love the one word name aspect of it. It's like, wow, these things, these things mean business. Uh, they went in on, on these designs. My only problem now, with green- them, my only problem with them was that like, they felt like they should have been extensions of the original one word cycle, like anger and wonder in them that do something when they're in your graveyard and they don't do that. And it feels di- like, I just felt a disconnect when I read grief for the first time. And I was like, okay, but where's the thing? Like where, where's the thing that it does in the graveyard? And it just doesn't have that, but Hey, it's maybe an extension of that cycle where it does something when it ETBs instead. Sure. Isn't wonder in this set. Aren't they like reprinting those as the, uh, yeah, it's like the, the modern reprints. I mean, so yeah, they're kind of getting them. Those, plus, those are just incarnations. Aren't these elemental incarnations? I believe you're correct. Well, in any case, um, I actually playtested a very basic build of like modern grief against uh, another teacher in my school. He like, the moment he saw grief, uh, he like printed out a deck that we had discussed uh, like the previous day um, with like Tide Hollow Scholars and... Uh, just a bunch of fatal pushes and just good classic, uh, uh, like Stoneforge Mystic and like a Stone Blade package. Um, just like modern 
uh, grief with the ephemerate package. Mm-hmm. And I played it. He played Jun Death Shadow, and I shredded his hand every <laughs> single game. And there was nothing he could do about it. And it, like Jund Death Shadow looked like a joke against turn one grief ephemerate. That's how good it was. Like I, it felt almost unbeatable. Um, and then the Stone Blade package really just tied it together in like the, the mid game. Uh, anyway, big fan of grief. Can't wait to see what the other ones are. I hope the green one makes squirrels. Uh, that'd oh, be pretty funny. <laughs> Um, oh, yeah. They they must really want to power up this this modern squirrel deck. But some other cards that I'm really excited for. I love Sarah's emissary. Uh, it's the huge seven seven angel that you and it, when it enters the battlefield, you name a card type, and you and creatures have protection from uh, that chosen card type, which is sweet. Uh, some other ones that I really liked uh, late to dinner, where and this is more of a a flavor win. Uh, it's a reanimation effect, but the art and flavor text depict a, a like a, a just a goofy scene: uh, a rhinoceros and an elephant. The elephant is a ghost, and uh, the rhinoceros is is telling the elephant in the flavor text like like man, I know you were stuck in your ways, but even I didn't expect to show up after you were dead. And uh, they're having like a nice dinner and tea party, despite one of them <laughs> being RIP'd. So that's just awesome. Yeah, big fan myself of the new glimpse. Uh, it's it's a red card that has suspend and it it's like a chaos warp or, or um, warp world for yourself. It just gets rid of all your permanents and you just dump uh, the same number of permanents back onto your board. Kind of cool. Man. Might hit my chaos deck. Also, Chef's Kiss, like is just <laughs> Chef's name. Kiss. It's it's just beautiful. That also might make the chaos deck. Uh, it should. Yeah. It's it's just all around amazing. It's definitely gonna make the food deck if that's a thing that I put together. But uh. Who am I kidding? I'll put that together. I just don't know if I'll <laughs> actually buy it. I am, I'm one of those serial EDH deck builders who never actually buys the decks he builds, but I've built tons of them. Mm. Oh, I man. still I have make Seltai list. Oh. oh, yeah. What happened with that? I, I still want to know what it is. It's sitting in my cart still. I just haven't bought it. I think Elementals might be one of my next builds. I have. I do already have a five color. If I make like four color, I want eventually one of every single like type. But I've noticed that if I... The decks that I want to build are just like more green white decks. For some reason, I just gravitate towards green white and commander. I don't know. It, like I like the taxing effects. But anyway, I think one more card that we should discuss before we bounce is Garth One Eye. The new speaking of five color, five color legend. Uh, it's a five five. It's mythic, and it has tap. Choose a card name that hasn't been chosen from among disenchant, brain geyser, terror, shivan dragon, regrowth, and black lotus. Create a copy of the card with the chosen name. You may cash the copy. You still pay its costs. What the hell? Yeah, so this, <laughs> this is, is extremely nuts. weird. Not only does it is it a card that has the words Black Lotus printed on it and is like not an uncard, but yeah. it 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 makes token copies of the card. It doesn't make a token of the card. Do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't it doesn't make a token. It makes a token copy of the card. So yeah. it still has a mana cost or sorry, mana value. It still has like all the components of a, like it's still a spell and all that. Does it go on the stack? Like, yeah. Yeah. You cast it. Then where is the copy made? Yeah. It doesn't start in exile. <laughs> like I, what? Does it start in your hand? I don't, I don't. It's a, to, I don't, I don't know. And they've already, they go, they went out and said, because, you know, a bunch of those are reserved list cards, so they're not going to print them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've said they're not printing tokens for them either. So you're going to have really? to go to like so- an altar, one like somebody in the magic community who makes altars to get a token made for this. Because, yeah, it's mm-hmm. they, they're not interested in printing 
uh, token copies of cards, and then a bunch of people flipped out because they have printed tokens for Llanowar Elves, but they're not the same thing yeah, because Llanowar, the Llanowar Elves token was still a token. It didn't have a mana value and all that stuff. I think it was I Saffron Olive that pointed out that Goblin Wizard uh, was a real magic card from one of the very, very early sets. And then in the card Goblin Wizardry from M21, uh, that made a, a token called Goblin Wizard. And it was nothing like the Goblin Wizard card. Yeah. Um, I, 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 that must have been yeah, pointed out for, for this reason. So this is this is just bizarre i mean i doubt anything else is going to be named black lotus anytime soon uh and these are all very iconic it's it's a sweet card but i just still don't get where the where the, the coffee exists like if i don't cast it let's say like i choose not to cast the copy is it in exile where does it go is it in my hand is it floating above the table like how's it working it doesn't again? say choose a card name that hasn't been chosen yet from among blah 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 Create a copy of the card with the chosen name. You may cast the copy. It doesn't start on the stack then. It starts somewhere else. But yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't define where. No, it doesn't. That's interesting. I, I guess it doesn't matter because if you don't... Oh, wait, but do you keep it? But like if this card... If this does copy it say you may cast made, it until end of turn? Or is it just you may cast it? It doesn't say until end of turn. So do you just keep it in your hand forever? <laughs> and it's a... So it's not a token. No, it's a, it's a copy, copy of, of the, the card. card. So if I and if so if it started in exile and I played a, a, a an Eldrazi ingester, right? Uh, or a processor, rather. Sure. Um, you could move it to the graveyard so and such. I could move it to the graveyard and then I could regrowth it to my hand. Yes, it's not a token. It is an it is a copy of an actual card. So it still has mana values. It still is a real card. It can go to the graveyard. All that kind of stuff. Look, there's got to be something dumb you can do with this that it's going to piss off people. But I'm going to leave that to bigger brains than mine to figure out. <laughs>